<laughs> we welcome you to our services. The last day of our uh, spring Bible conference. It has been a good time. Uh, grateful again for all those that have traveled so far to be with us. Uh, pray the Lord will give you all traveling grace as you head back home this afternoon. Uh, it was so good to get to meet Robert and his son Daniel and get to be again with Elaine Bell and David and Rachel and the boys from Florida. And I'm not going to try to name all the names and the daughter from Florida. <laughs> good to have Bradley and his family back with us this morning. Uh, good to have our visitors with us this morning. Uh, I wish everybody had the privilege that I have uh, to get to spend time uh, with these two dear men that are such an important part of my life. I, I love, I always think about that movie, uh, Brian's song. If I talk about it too much, I go to squall. And I remember Brian, oh, uh, Gail Sayers giving his speech, and he said, I love Brian Piccolo. Well, I love Bill Parker and Gary Shepard. Uh, as much as a man can love two men. They have been uh, such good friends to me. Uh, they are both faithful gospel preachers. Uh, Bill has been like an extension of our church, and most of the things that we have been able to do over the last 20-some-odd uh, years has been through the graciousness of Eager Avenue Grace Church down in Albany, Georgia. All of our video equipment, the fact that we are on Sermon Audio to begin with, uh, they gave us the, the funds to put us in that position. Uh, the building that you're sitting in, uh, they gave us a significant amount of money when we originally bought this building back in 98. And uh, we, the, the group that was here then uh, made up the rest of it when we purchased this building in 98. So uh, they... they it's not over the money, it's over the friendship, but I appreciate the fact that they uh, trust us that we are preaching the same gospel, worshiping the same God enough to where they're willing to invest their money into the work here. They will be traveling home tomorrow. Bill and Debbie fly out tomorrow morning uh, around 10-something, I think, 1130. Uh, remember them in your prayers, and then Gary flies out from Shreveport tomorrow about 12.30, so Pam's going that away, and me and Gary's going that away tomorrow morning. I'll be carrying him to Shreveport to put him on a plane over there, so we, we're grateful for your, your being here. If you missed any of the services, I have I actually caught all the way up yesterday. All of them are already out on Sermon Audio, the entire live stream of each service, except for the mistake on the, the names running off the edge of the <laughs> and then I got the sermons uploaded all the way up to date, so they're all out there to be viewed. So we're gonna do we're gonna treat this morning just like Sunday Bible class. Gary's gonna come preach to us in this hour. When we get done, there's coffee. I don't know if we've ate all the donuts up. Is there is there anything left back in the back to eat? I know there's food for afterward. But we'll take a, a little break when Gary gets done. There's two bathrooms in the back. There's one bathroom right back here in the back, and then there's another bathroom in the addition. And then we'll try to start our regular service at 11 o'clock this morning, and Bill will finish the service out this morning. So. Okay. Okay. You interrupted me, sir. I thought you was coming up here to tell me the mic wasn't working again. <laughs> I was about to hit the panic button when you started down the aisle. <laughs> Can't take those kind of things. You don't know what that does to the old man's blood pressure. 
Good to have all of you. I pray the Lord, I, the, 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 the sermons have been just outstanding so far. The fellowship has been better. I started to come up here and check on you youth last night, but the women talked me out of it. They wouldn't let me do it. I hope you all had a good time uh, together last night. Good to have all of you. Pray the Lord blesses us. Uh, Kenny, if you would, lead us in opening prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, Almighty God, Lord, we're again thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be here in this place. Father, we just uh, we stand in awe of an accomplished salvation, a righteousness imputed, Lord, a, a, a satisfaction to your law and justice, so that you may be a just God and the Savior, Lord. I pray, Father, for these services today, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'd give Gary and Bill the words to say this morning, that you'd give us open ears, receptive hearts to hear and understand these things, Lord. And I pray above all that Christ be lifted up and your name be glorified. One other thing I needed to mention, we are having a fellowship meal at the conclusion of the service, everything. So if you smell anything, it's probably that those two briskets that your pastor labored over yesterday. <laughs> For 15 hours, I labored over that those two briskets that are back here in the cooler back there. So you're all welcome to stay. I hope you'll stay for a time of fellowship when we conclude the second message. Gary, you come preach the gospel to us, brother. I cannot express to you what <clears throat> what a joy it's been to me <clears throat> being in this meeting and being with not only these these preachers but being with you all. I just am thankful for anywhere that God raises up a people and causes them to believe his truth and enables them to fellowship and be of like precious faith and take a stand for the gospel of his glory. Thank you for all your hospitality, and uh, I hope you'll pray for me in the coming days and uh, the saints where I try to pastor have for some 40 years, people say, well, how did you stay there that long? I said, well, they won't, don't want any preacher, and I'm about as near to it as they can find. So, but I hope it's for the gospel's sake. I mean, I invite you this morning to uh, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This passage of Scripture is like one of those seedbeds. Uh, a gospel preacher cannot hardly read a verse without wanting to stop and proclaim some part of the gospel. But I'm this morning uh, like I hear a hymn that keeps ringing in my mind. There's a verse in it that says, 
suffer a sinner whose heart overflows, loving his Savior to tell what he knows. That's all I can do is tell what I know. And I don't know a lot that others seem to know. But I know something about the blessing of knowing what I'm about to say this morning. Let's begin reading in verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. God has, whether you know it or not, an elect people that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. When all the dust has settled, the debates over justification, it still says that same thing. It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then he goes on to talk about no possibility of being separated from God because of what is done. I know by the grace of God, that the emphasis, that the focus of the Bible, of this book that so many have, the focus of this book is Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know also that the gospel message is not about what you and I are to do. It's about what he's done, already done. And if he reveals to us what we are, what we really are, that's what we'll focus on. That's what we'll have to be interested in. The Holy Spirit convicts, but he takes the things of Christ and reveals them unto us. Where Christ is not the emphasis, the Holy Spirit is not at work. I don't care how emotional I don't care how regimented, I don't care how inspiring, and I hate that word, by the way, 
these inspirational things. I don't care how many involved in whatever it is. I don't care how great the preacher is. If Christ himself is not the focal point, the central theme, then the Holy Spirit is not present. And I know something else, and this I'm become more sure of as every passing day of my life, as every passage and part of this book I read. The central theme of Scripture being about Christ is his death. The book of life it's about a death. When we read verse 34 and hear all of this good news in these verses, it seems to just leap up off the page to me when he says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. This is not about dead theologians. This is not about men who have died various kinds of martyrs' deaths. This book is about the death of Jesus Christ. And that is our emphasis. If you turn over to Roman, I mean to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can hear that resounded and affirmed and resolved by the Apostle Paul himself. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, he says, For I determined, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not just Jesus Christ. It's not just Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus as the example and Jesus as your friend and Jesus as your provider. It's about Jesus Christ crucified. It's about his death. But it's not just about the fact that he died or the historical information that he died. It's who died. <laughs> who died? When the Bible says he gave himself, it's speaking that he gave his unique self, the God-man, god in flesh. This isn't just anybody dying here. A martyr's death. This is God in human flesh. They didn't recognize him as that when they crucified him. They didn't, they didn't acknowledge the fact that he was God. They didn't submit themselves 
to him as God, but he was still God in human flesh. And it has to do with who he died for. It's not just the announcement of his death. The gospel tells us not only who died, not only speaks of his death, but it talks about who he died for. Oh, they say, we don't know who he died for. I know who he died for. I can read one verse in Scripture in John chapter 10. He provided two definite verses there, but I can read one verse believing God and believing the words of Christ from his own lips. I knew who he died for. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. And in case you didn't understand that, I give my life for the sheep. So at the heart of the gospel is not only the fact that Christ died, it's not only about who, he, who it was that died on that cross, it's about who he died for. The good news, the glad tidings are for his sheep. And he died to save them by doing what God required to do and for him to do that, for Christ to be a sinner savior, he had to come into this world. He had to take upon himself sinless flesh as every offering and sacrifice pictured until his coming. He had to take on sinless flesh and he had to live under that law to show himself as such, the perfect sinless sacrifice, and he had to die. He had to die. If you and I are to be saved, he had to die. He had to shed his blood. That's what the blood is all about. The life is in the blood, and that blood must flow out of him. He must die if we're to be saved. He could have died a martyr's death, or he had, could have come as the teacher of teachers. He could have come as a, the example, whatever else it was, and you and I would still have perished. It is Christ that died. Ought not the Christ to have suffered this death and therefore entered into his glory? And furthermore, the scriptures tell us about what kind of death that he died, showing that he died as a sacrifice. He died as an offering. He didn't die to be offered. That's blasphemy. He died to be the offering. And the scripture says he died as a, an offering for sin. Everybody that Christ died for is a sinner. 
He died as a substitute. He died in the place of his people, of his elect. He died as a representative man. He went out there like David before Goliath, this representative man. And the scripture says that Goliath laid laid down the rules as it was, but he did so according to God's will. He said, if, we, if I defeat you, then you'll be, your people will serve us. But if, if you defeat me, uh, uh, my people will serve you. So whatever was done by one was representative, as a representative, affected everybody. And so when Christ goes out there uh, and stands before all the enemies of God and all the enemies of his people, and he, in his death, overcomes, they're all saved. That's a picture there of representation. He died as a representative. And not simply sin in general, but he says there that his name will be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Why is his name Jesus? Because it means Savior, Jehovah's Savior. Who does he say? He saves his people. What does he save them from? He saves them from all their sins. How does he do it? He does it in his death. And also the great emphasis of Scripture also is what he accomplished in his death. Men say, well, I know the gospel. I'm going to preach it here in one verse. And uh, Jesus Christ died, uh, was resurrected. He died and was buried and was resurrected again. That's the gospel. No. Paul said that he preached the gospel, and when he preached the gospel, he preached how that Christ died according to the Scriptures. Christ died according to the Scriptures. His death is characterized by victory. It's always characterized by success. And men and women don't know anything in our day about the success of Christ. They don't know about the victory that he accomplished. They don't know about the salvation that he wrought. They don't know what he finished on that cross. They don't know, and therefore, it's not good tidings to them. That's what the gospel is, glad tidings. And if it comes to us as do, 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 that's just what it is, do, do. That's what Paul called it. The work is done. The, the, the gospel declares an accomplished work. It tells us what Christ did in his death. That's what Paul's saying. In all these things, it is Christ that died. He saved his people. He accomplished their salvation. He put away their sins. Hebrews says, Now the God of peace that brought again the dead, 
from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. And to assure that we never, ever leave that foundation, that, that mooring, that, that fundamental thing that it, it's all about, the Lord has given us two ordinances even. What's the first one? What do we first confess? We confess him in baptism. What's baptism all about? It's our identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death. This is our hope. This is our salvation. This is how we're saved. And we're representing that and confessing it in baptism. We died in Christ. We were buried in Christ. And we're risen in Christ. All a finished work. That's what baptism confesses. It doesn't do anything to us. It doesn't make us special. It doesn't wash away our sin. It's just simply a looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first confession of Christ. We confess his death. Not only that, but he has in his mighty purpose of grace, he's caused us to continually confess that to confess that as our hope and all our salvation and our only righteousness that God has settled justly and dealt with us in the person of Jesus Christ and the matter of our sin, we are given the Lord's table. You know, it's funny that everything about this message of life is about death. We take the Lord's, the elements of the Lord's table, and we continually confess in it our sinfulness. Only sinners can come to the table. Only sinners are baptized. And we confess that by his death, we take of his these elements, the bread and the wine, we take that and we confess again and again and again every time we do it. The death of Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. These are not sacraments. They're not means that God literally conveys grace to us, imparts is the word that the definition has, imparts grace to us. They're not sacraments. They don't give us anything. This does not become the body and blood of Christ after some priest prays over it, or it doesn't even become the body and bread of Christ after we consume it like others believe it. It's just representative of his death. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to him in <clears throat> verse 23. It says, for, after, for I have received, that's what Paul preached, what he had received, all, 
all the time. For I've received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same that the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. It's not really his body, it's bread. But it pictures his body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, and saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink of me in remembrance of me. So he talks here about a remembrance of Christ, and both times remembering him how? In his broken body and the blood that he shed. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? Show the Lord's death. That's what we do in baptism. That's what we do every time we gather around the Lord's table. We do show the Lord's death. Why? Because that's our salvation. That's our hope. That's the thing that is the basis of all God's forgiveness and all of redemption and all of uh, salvation as a whole. That's, that's all of it. It is Christ that died. We remember his death, what it accomplished for us. He said, you do show the Lord's death. We remember that he said it's finished on that cross. We show his death. Paul, in, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again, or 1. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 1. He said, in verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Doesn't matter who it's, whether it's a Jew or whether it's a Gentile. We know that either group, they're all sinners. We know also that God has an elect people, a remnant according to the, the election of grace. Amongst the Jews and the Gentiles, we know that. So what do we preach? Christ crucified. Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. Just foolishness, stumbling over all these various traditions. And, but unto them which are called, Unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Well, what do you preach, Paul? The cross. 
We're always drawn back. Verse 18 says, for the preaching of the cross. That means the cross death. That doesn't mean a sign or a symbol, but the preaching of Christ uh, on the cross. Uh, that's the obedience that we talk about. His obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the obedience that saves us. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Paul preached the cross. Didn't matter where he went. Didn't matter who his audience was. Before kings, governors, the Pharisees, of which he was once one himself, he preached the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. Because it's by the cross, it's by the death, and shed blood of Christ that all the sins of God's people are paid for, put away. And that's the only way they could be put away. They couldn't be just, a just God can't just say, oop, it's okay, sweep it under the rug. They have to be paid for. They have to be paid for. Look over in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This is, I think Romans chapter 5, I'll, of course I probably said that three times already every time I preach, but Roman, Romans chapter 5 is really one of my favorite passages because it talks about one man's obedience. All these preachers today, they're talking about your obedience. Well, you better be obedient servants and you better... Well, you better be, but ain't no salvation in that. It's by his obedience. Romans chapter 5 and beginning in verse 6. It says, For when we were yet strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You'll, you'll never search and see, be able to see in this world your name in the Lamb's book of life. But I found mine right there. <laughs> Christ died for the ungodly. Man's always refusing the ground upon which God shows mercy. Sinnerhood. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. How does God show his love to his people? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Christ died. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world 
and in our place and for our salvation and blessing, he died for us. He laid down that perfect life. It says here, much more than being justified by his blood. That's his death. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Why? Because he's already borne the wrath of God on, for his elect. He gives us a cross to bear sometimes that's kind of heavy. But that cross that had the curse in it, he bore alone. He bore alone. He, we have to sacrifice sometimes and do things we don't want to, but the debt he's already paid. He died. When John sees the, the redeemed in heaven, the Lamb, what's the character of Christ in the Revelation? Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is that sacrifice. Not only worthy to be, to be recognized and honored and worshipped, but he's worthy to God. He laid down his life. He shed his blood. He saved all his people. And when we read in the Revelation, it, John says, I, I saw them there and they sung a new song saying, Heaven was about this. Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. That's still the subject. Will be for eternity. You were slain. And has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred tongue and people and nation. When he sees them, it says, he says, the, the angel asked him, who are, who are these? And he said, sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. Sounds to me like they went through it. That's what this world has to offer especially for the people of God. The trying of your faith being much more precious than gold or silver. Sir, thou knowest, he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the blood. And those who overcame, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death because he it was their life. I, I'm loving this life less and less, this natural life. We're weak. It's, that life is fading away. And it started fading kind of fast. When I hit 70, it was like a rocket. But that life is in the Lamb. I thought about it. This is our confession. 
This is our covenant. Hang this one on the wall if you want to. This is our comfort. When you're you're in the throes of failure or doubt or persecution, when you're in the throes of your own flesh that could leave you hopeless and helpless and you see the misery of what we are in ourselves, it still says the same thing. It was Christ that died. That ain't going to change. That's the basis for that everlasting salvation. That's the commendation of God's love toward us. We're not going to ever change in God's sight if we're his people. He's viewed us from all eternity as perfect. Thou art all fair, my beloved. Why? Because it's Christ that died. Washed us clean. That's gospel 101. But that's gospel 102 and 103. And your BS and BA and your master's and your PhD is all the way through. You may learn a little bit more. Hope you do. But all you learn will be no basis for your salvation. It'll be, it is Christ that died. Sometimes I'm the most miserable sinner in my own eyes even. that, As, as you can imagine, just I, I, I do things and say things sometimes, and I, I find myself saying, or the devil saying to me, ain't no way you could be a Christian. Yes, there is. It is Christ that died. That's my hope. That's my comfort. That's my gospel. When he sees the blood, he never stopped looking at it. From the lamb slain from the foundation of the world all the way into glory, it's still the lamb, it's still the blood. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We show his death till he come. I've never made much progress in anything. And I hope I don't make much progress in this gospel. Here's where I'm camping out. This is the rock that I'm on, though everything else sinks. This is it. It is Christ that died. Past tense. Finished my salvation. That's my hope. That's my comfort. Thank you so much.